You know, during allergy season, my allergies act up a lot. And I am what you would call a super sneezer. If I sneeze in my office, then normally Scarlett's desk shakes. And I've always said the way to be blessed a lot is to sneeze a lot. Because if you go around sneezing, every people like, bless you. Everyone starts acting like the Pope. You sneeze, bless you. Isn't that funny? Like we don't bless people in any other circumstance, but they got an allergy. Bless them before the allergy. You know what I mean? Before they get a cold. But then they're cold and then, bless you. But have you ever known why we say God bless you? And you've probably heard this. During the Middle Ages, it was thought that when you sneezed, it opened up your spiritual door for demonic activity. They thought that the sneeze was some kind of gateway for demonic activity to come in your life. So if you sneezed, they were worried demons would attack you, so they would proclaim a blessing on you when you sneezed. Now it's so weird. The Germans do a good job. They say Gesundheit, which means to your health. But we go around, even to this day, saying bless you. And I say bless people when they don't sneeze. But the philosophy behind why they said a blessing is because they thought that there was a curse. And the only way to break a curse is with a blessing. Have you ever wondered why you have to say a blessing over your food? Some people say grace. Why do we do that? Really, if I'm sitting at Longhorn with an 18-ounce ribeye in front of me, I'm already blessed, praise God. I mean, you should have prayed for the cow before he got here. Now it's going to bless me. But the reason we say a blessing over our meal is because we believe in the Garden of Eden at the fall, that the fall not only affected mankind, but affecting the whole of creation. And that the whole of creation is subject to a curse. And if I don't bless this broccoli and carrots and steak, it may not be good for me. Because everything in the fall was affected. When Adam and Eve sinned, everything was affected. Before the fall, there was no disease, no cancer. None of these problems we have today, where did it all come from? It come from sin, which brought death and every ailment that God never intended. So, I don't really know where this food came from, but I'm going to proclaim a blessing over it so that there's no curse from the fall comes to be a part of my body. So we bless things. We bless things because there is a curse that affects them. I think it's appropriate today not only on homecoming, but baby dedication, that I want to speak on this. The elements of blessing our children. The elements of blessing our children. The scripture which we'll turn to today is Genesis chapter 27. I would like you to turn there in your Bibles with me today. Genesis 27. Now here's the context of who we're talking about. We've been talking on Wednesday night for like two months about a guy named Abraham who was promised the covenant through faith 
to Abraham that through his seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. So to begin with, Abraham received a blessing from God and was now a carrier of the blessing and had the authority to pass down the blessing to his son Isaac. So right now the person we're going to be talking about is Isaac who's going to be blessing his son Jacob. Now, if you go back and read this story, you're going to find that Jacob pretended to be Esau, who was the oldest born son, and he actually stole the blessing from Esau. Isaac was really old in age. He couldn't see. Esau had furry arms. So it said that Isaac went and put animal skin on his arms so they would feel furry. Now, let me tell you something. That's some hairy arms. If you're deceived to the point where, where you think that animal fur is like your son's arm, Esau was a hairy dude. But he went and he deceived his father into thinking that he was Esau, and his father is going to give him a blessing. So understand that the blessing came from God to Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac knows he's going to have to bless one of his sons to be the carrier of, of the promised covenant. So I don't want you to read into the fact that, that Jacob did some deception going on here. The point is the, pl- the power of the blessing still stands. The power of the blessing still had effect. Even though, and, and listen, in the whole scheme of things, God knew it was going to be Jacob. Okay? Because God had to teach Jacob some things down the road. Like, okay, you want to deceive somebody? How about you work seven years for a woman? And his, her father pulls a switcheroo on you. And that happened to him. So he had to learn a lot of things along the way. But we're going to pick up to the point where Isaac's ready to die. And he's going to bless his son Jacob. Look at Genesis 27. 27. It says, <clears throat> let, me, let me back up to uh, verse 25. He says, bring it near to me. Speaking of some, some soup that he was going to prepare for his father. And I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let the peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's son bow down to you. Curses be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. So there we have from verse 27 to 29, the blessing that was passed down from Abraham to Isaac. Now I want you to know that in here we're going to find five elements of a blessing. And here's what I want you to know. Because we are blessed through the seed of Abraham, through faith in Jesus Christ, we become Christians called by God. Just like Abraham, we partake in the covenant which he partook in. Just like Isaac, who was his son, who became a partaker in the covenant, All of us through faith as Christians are partakers in the covenant of the blessings that happen through the Messiah. So what happens is we become carriers of the blessing with the ability to bless other people, especially our children. 
Now the facet that I want to focus on this morning is, is not just to parents. If you have grandparents, or I'm sorry, if, if you have grandchildren, if you have a spouse, any of these can apply in that context. Blessing our children, blessing our grandchildren, blessing our spouse. All of these things are going to hold true about how we can encourage them in the faith through the act of blessing. Now, in the Hebrew culture, the blessing was the most prized possession of a child. I want you to know how important this was to Isaac, that he steals this. Isaac was a smart guy and a crafty guy. It actually said that Esau traded his birthright for some soup. Esau gave him the inheritance for soup. But you know, in the end, Esau didn't really care about the inheritance. He cared about the blessing. The blessing was more valuable than his inheritance. And let me tell you what. Isaac owned a lot of stuff. Esau wasn't concerned about that. What he was concerned about was the blessing from his dad. Receiving that blessing. That was the most important thing to a child in Hebrew culture. And here's what I want to know parents today. Parents above all, above their academic success, above their success in sports, above their, their, their community events. What they want to know is that you as a parent will bless them. That's the most important thing your children want to know today. So this was so valued in the Hebrew culture more than in inheritance and a blessing meant the difference between success and failure in the world. I want you to know in the life of your children and grandchildren, a blessing will mean the difference between success and failure. The way you bless them will determine the difference between success and failure in their life and what they come to believe about themselves. Even today in Jewish families in 2013, every Friday night at the beginning of the Sabbath, the father speaks a blessing over all his children, just like we did today during baby dedication. In a Jewish family, every Friday night at the beginning of the Sabbath, the father will pray over a blessing on every single child and pray a blessing on them. Now here's what's interesting about the Jewish culture. It's no wonder that historically Jewish people have been among the most successful in education, business, and science. Do you know why? Because every Friday night, their dads have told them that they are blessed. Every Friday night, their dads have spoken truth and favor and, and success into their life and have funneled that blessing into them to the point where they become such a confident and blessed individual that they go out into society and they achieve great things. Now, the percent of the Jewish population in America is only 2% of the, of the whole population. But did you know that 36% of Nobel Prize winners have been Jewish? 2% of the population is Jewish, but over one-third of the highest awarded in economics, science, and peace have been attained by Jewish people. I think there's something powerful in the element of the blessing that is passed down from generation to generation. And I think that's an element of the Hebrew culture, and especially the Old Testament, which we need to carry over. Because as a parent, you are blessed through Jesus Christ. You've been giving every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, and you have that in Jesus' name. And most of the times why we don't speak a blessing is because we don't know we have a blessing. We don't know that we have the authority to do that. But you have been given the authority. You are, through Jesus Christ, a royal priesthood. 
And that's the authority I want you to know that you can pass down to your children. There's five elements of a blessing. We're going to look in this scripture and we're going to see that the first element is the element of time. The first element is the element of time. He says in verse 25, My son, bring me some of that game to eat that I might give you my blessing. You know what he was trying to say to him? And Miss Mona, Mr. Ken, y'all might know this is good. He said, you know what? I'm going to enjoy sitting over a nice pot of venison stew with you. Not just so the fact that we can fill our bellies, but so we can spend time together. He said, I'm going to give you a blessing, but I don't just want you to show up. I want you to sit down and have a meal with me so that our time together is valuable. My time is valuable and your time is valuable. So the first element of blessing your children is spending time with them. I heard the story of a young boy. His daddy got home late from work like he did every night. His daddy worked late. And his daddy came in the door and the little boy said, Daddy, how much do you make an hour? And the father thought that was an odd question for an eight-year-old boy. And says, well, why do you want to know? Daddy, I just need to know, how much do you make an hour? The daddy gave him some figure, $50. Says, I make $50 an hour. The little boy said, okay, daddy, can I borrow $25? You're going to have to tell me what it's for before you borrow $25. The little boy says, daddy, I can't tell you what it's for. I just need $25. And dad kind of got upset and said, if you don't tell me what this money is for, you're going to be sitting in your room early tonight. And the dad stormed off. So later that night when the little boy was in bed, the, the dad started feeling really bad. And he went up to the little boy in his room he said, son, I'm really sorry for getting aggravated. I've had a tough day at work. I'll give you the $25. You know, maybe he thought, little boy's been wanting to buy something. He said, I'll give you the $25. So he pulled out from his pocket the $25 and gave it to the boy. And the little boy reached under his pillow and pulled out $25 more. And now the dad was very mad because he already had money. And he said, you little swindler, you just want more. So the little little boy put that 25 and 25 together and said dad I've got $50 can I buy an hour of your time will you have dinner with me tomorrow night you see what that little boy wanted was to spend time with his dad and many times we get caught up in our work life and our extracurricular life and all those things and we forget that our time with our children is the most important thing that we'll spend all week. Your child wants to know that their time is valuable to you. They want to spend time with you. Spending time with your children lets them know that in the grand scheme of things, they are the most valuable of all. So spend time with your kids. Secondly is the element of touch. Verse, 20, verse 26, his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. Come here, my son, and kiss me. He didn't want the time of blessing just to be an awkward, like a first date, you know? Okay, you sit over there, I'm going to sit over here, we're going to have our venison, and this is just business. No, he said, this is going to be an intimate time. I want you to get as close to me as any human will get, and I want to embrace you with a kiss. So, they had that element of touch, that closeness, that intimacy. Did you know that when you're communicating with somebody and you maybe lay a hand on their shoulder or you hold their hand with your wife, that it instantly reduces blood pressure, 
It instantly reduces stress and cortisol levels. If your wife's having a bad day, and maybe you're arguing in the kitchen, come here, honey. I'm going to use you as an illustration. I stole this. It's not my own idea. Let's say you're having an argument in the kitchen, and you're going back and forth about what you're going to do for dinner this weekend or plans or something. You're going back and forth. You're arguing, and it gets kind of heated. Just do this. Just say, honey, I know you're mad. I know it hurts, and you're upset. With you can't argue like this. Let's just, let's just let our quarters all drop for a moment. Thank you, babe. I just like hugging you. <laughs> Whenever you spend that intimate time, it puts people in a place of communication where they are relaxed and able to hear from you. So when you're with your children, maybe it's in the evening, read a devotional. Cuddle up next to them. Bello did not grow up to be a big cuddler. And I was always offended because I would try to lay next to her and she would scoot over. Now, Roman, on the other hand, is a big cuddler. When you're on the couch, he comes and, like, lays in your lap. But over time, I've had to tell Bella, I said, Bella, being next to you is very important to me. And she's learned that. And so you build that closeness, you build that intimacy when you're saying your prayers together or when you're doing your devotional. Or even at dinner time, we, uh, we hold hands when we pray around the dinner table. And Roman's now to the point now where no longer does he sit there and watch, but we start to pray and he holds his hand out. Like, Daddy, I'm here. And so now we'll hold his hand. And those, those little things associate value and specialness through intimacy and through touch. We should spend time every day holding our children. And even when they become teenagers and they don't think it's cool anymore to cuddle with their mom, they will know that you love them. So the second element is the element of touch. Thirdly is the element of talk. Verse 27 says that he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said. One of the most important parts that happened in the story, once they've spent time together, they've established that intimacy through touch, is that he verbalized the blessing. He spoke it into existence now I know in the bottom of your heart you love your children more than anything in earth I know you love your grandchildren more than anything on earth even if your children are grown you love them more than anything on earth but here's the key they will not know it unless you verbalize it your words become the attachment that they hear all day long, we're bombarded with images in the media, images on radio, the internet, Facebook, all these things of what life is like. But the most powerful words that they will ever hear is the ones that come from the mouths of the parents. So be sure you speak that affirmation verbally. The blessing, though rooted in the heart of the parents, must be verbalized to take effect. I remember hearing about the Jeopardy champion, Ken Jennings. Anybody remember that guy on Jeopardy? Did you watch it? Everybody a nerd? Raise your hand, okay. He was the longest winning champion of Jeopardy. He won 74 straight episodes. This guy was brilliant. I mean, the highest prize winner of any television series game show. And you see, that might not be a big deal to you, but when I was in high school... 
my family played Jeopardy every night. Every night we played Jeopardy, and me and my dad would keep score. And I can remember the time I hit about 15 or 16, and that I actually won. And literally, I wrote it on the calendar. I beat dad in Jeopardy. You see, part of the blessing that was passed down to me by my dad was that of knowledge and of learning. To value education, to value the world around us, and everything that we can learn. But what was amazing about Ken Jennings is that he was not a college professor and he did not have a PhD in world history. Ken Jennings was a normal guy who said he became so smart because his family sat around the dinner table every night and talked about world events. He said every night around the dinner table they would cut off TV, there would be no cell phone, no Facebook going on at the dinner table, and their family would simply talk about world events, what was going on in politics, what was going on in science, what was going on in in, uh, the religious world, in, in all kind of affairs. And this is how he amassed knowledge to be smarter than any person that's ever played Jeopardy because his family talked to him. Now, if that tells us anything, it tells us that talking with our kids is powerful in the educational formation of their mind and their heart. It is so powerful just to spend time and verbalize communication with our kids. Sometimes we'll get so caught up in the amount of communication we have to have with adults and people we don't like. We have to have adult conversations at the workplace and meetings. That we come home and we forget about this little child who needs conversation from their parents. doesn't matter if they're 5, a teenager, or 35. They still need to hear from their mom and dad. You know... Whatever you feel about your kids, whatever blessing God leads you to pass down, make sure you tell them. Because we have a lot of desire and aspiration for our children, but if we don't verbalize that, it's never going to take root in their heart. Speak it to your spouse. Speak it to your preacher. I might not be a good preacher, but if you tell me long enough, maybe it'll come true. So speak it to those loved ones around you of what you know they can become. And it will take root in their heart. When you are proud of them, tell them. So let's review. We've got the element of time, the element of talk, and the element, I'm sorry, element of touch, and the element of talk. Fourthly is the element of truth. The element of truth. He says in verse 28, May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, and abundance of grain and new wine. You see, truth is really different than fact because he didn't have any of that stuff. Isaac didn't have heaven's dew or earth's richness. Isaac didn't yet have an abundance of grain or new wine. But what Abraham knew was that what he spoke into the life of Isaac would come to actuality as he lived. And here's what I want you to know about speaking truth to your children. Truth is greater than fact. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Let me tell you what. I mean, your child may be struggling in school. That's a fact. But you know they can do better. That is truth. Truth is greater than fact. If you tell them that they are smart, you tell them that they will succeed, you tell them that they are capable, because when they grow up, what they have heard over and over is what they come to know about themselves. If they are constantly told that they're a failure, if they're constantly told that they're unsuccessful in school and that they're dumb or that they're not smart, they're going to go to school with that approach. I'm not 
smart. Why should I listen to the teacher? I thought I was dumb in third grade. I didn't know what was going on. She kept writing stuff on the board. I didn't understand. I was worried. I was like, maybe my parents are really not disciplining me at home because I don't know anything. Turns out I just needed glasses. So I was glad that fixed the problem. Truth is the result of self-fulfilling prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy means what a person becomes is what they hear about themselves. If a child is told that they are ignorant when they mess up, they're going to start to believe they're ignorant. If a child is told that they are stupid, those hard and powerful words take root way down in the core of their being. And it is very hard to get those things out. What you tell your spouse is what they come to know about themselves. What you tell your coworkers or your friends is what they come to know about themselves. You have the ability and the authority to bless someone with encouragement because Christ has already blessed you with encouragement. And once we understand who we are in Christ, then we can understand who our children can be in Christ. We can be victorious. We can be overcomers more than a conqueror who can do things for the kingdom. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says to grow up to be a mediocre example of Christ. I see every challenge in Scripture that says run the race as to win the goal. And that's what we should be passing down to our children. I was so proud of Bella yesterday at her soccer game. She's a four-year-old on a five and six lead. And I was really worried because I thought she was going to get run over. But I kept telling her, I said, Bella, these kids are fast. You've got to run faster. And if you didn't know about the fourth game yesterday, we've done it for about four weeks, she gets on two breakaway runs all the way down the field, dribbling the ball. Not just running, but dribbling the ball. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've been telling her, you know, you got to run faster, you got to run faster. So after the game, I was hoping for some affirmation. I said, Bella, why did you run so fast? And I thought she was going to say, Daddy, because you told me I could be fast. But she said, I read my book, Pinkalicious, and Pinkalicious ran very fast at soccer. <laughs> you know, that's children. But the amazing thing is, here's how her reality is defined. I read someone can run fast. Now I can run fast. Children are impacted by words. And sure enough, she did it. I was so proud. I remember in the popular movie called The Help, a very simple and powerful clip where the lady was telling a young child some very powerful words. She said these words. You probably know them. She said, you is kind, you is smart, and you is important. Out of that whole movie, those words are what stuck out to me because I know that in that story, that's what stuck out to that child. Scripture says that there is life and death in our tongue, that our words are so powerful that literally there's life, the creative force of existence, and there's death, the creative force, or the, I'm sorry, the, the force of destruction, all contained in the words that we speak. God created the whole universe with the power of His words, and we, being created in the image of God, retain that same creative power with our words too. We literally shape and mold the condition of the lives of our children by what we say. And do you know what Isaac was trying to say to him about an abundance of grain and an abundance of new wine? You know what he was really trying to say? He was saying, it's not just a sweet sentiment. He was saying, 
you are going to have to work harder than anyone else. In order to get an abundance of grain, that means you're going to have to plow longer than anyone else. You're going to have to plant more seed than anyone else. You're going to have to work longer in the harvest of anyone else. The truth he was proclaiming over his life was not just about the end result, but about the type of worker that he would be. You're going to have an abundance, but it's because you're going to work harder than anyone else. This is part of the covenant that we instill in our children through Christ, that we do everything as unto the Lord, and we do it as an act of worship and as our offering to God. Whatever we do, whatever they become, that it's an offering to God. He was giving him the blessing of a life of work, and indeed it was a sweet blessing. The last element is the element of teaching the element of teaching verse 29 he tells him he says you're going to be lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you the prophecy which we declare to our children must be connected to a pathway of instruction we cannot simply say you're going to be smart we cannot simply say you're going to be good we must give them a pathway or an instruction that gives them a a place to go with what you've told them We can't just say you're going to be a genius and then not tell them how to get into college. We connect a pathway to the prophecy of blessing. He says you're going to be Lord over your brothers. I want you to know that in the life of Isaac this was new information. And especially because Abraham didn't even know that the one he was speaking to was the younger son. And now the younger son who's always been under the authority of the older son. Isaac tells him you're going to be your brothers are going to be servants to you. You're going to be their Lord, their director. So you know what gave it? It gave him a command to live by, a command to abide by. There was something that he was going to have to do. That blessing is attached to something we must do. The instruction that was given to him would cause him to do something he'd never done before. Because he, before he was an equal with his brother. When you bless your children, you cannot tell them to keep doing what they've always done. In order to get results they've never gotten, they've got to do something different. The blessing should be attached with some sort of faith-based principle. You're going to be a worker in the kingdom, and you're going to read scripture every day. You're going to be a prayer warrior, and you're going to come before God day and night with the request of God's people. You see, it's an attached with an instruction. This was going to happen in his life after several years of being apart But after that, he knew that his actions were going to have to be different. What your children hear from you is going to determine the course of their life. The greatest teaching that you can give your children is teaching them about Jesus Christ as your Savior. In the whole realm of blessing, we've talked about time, we've talked about talk, touch, truth, and teaching. I went with the T thing and it worked for me. Out of all those things, I want you to know that the most powerful thing you can do is the teaching about the things of God. Because when you do those things, there is an aid, there is a comforter, there is a tutor that partners with those things to take spiritual things and root them in the heart of your child. You see, this whole process, you're not teaching alone. You don't have the responsibility of raising up a Christian child alone. You have a tutor, if you will. You have a helpmate, a comforter, the Holy Spirit who does those things with you. You know what? You may say, I don't know anything about the Bible. 
Get you a children's storybook Bible and start reading it to your kids every night before they go to bed. The Holy Spirit will help you. As long as you're committed, the Holy Spirit will help. Do something. In a week, I only get about two hours. Two hours of time do I get in the normal course of weekly activities to speak truth into the life of someone. But a parent gets every single day. A parent gets every day. They're going to hear from a preacher. They're going to hear from a Sunday school teacher. And they're going to come to know about the things of God. But what they see mom and dad say is the most important thing that they will hear. And here's what happens, and it's a powerful thing in the church. This is why when everyone stood here and, and you said a vow to these parents... Once they see their parents living what the Sunday school teacher and the Christians and the preacher talk about, those things work hand in hand, and they, something goes off in their head. This is real. This is real. It's not just a game. The church people are talking about the things of God. Mom and dad are talking about the things of God. This is something I need to take a hold of. That is the most powerful thing that we can do. Because your words have the most power in the life of your children. What they hear from you is what they will become. My encouragement to you today is that even if, you're, if it's your child, your grandchild, or your spouse, that you speak with encouragement, with grace, and with favor, not based on what they are, but based on what they can become in Jesus Christ who is the greatest blessing and blesser that any of us has ever received. I know there's going to be a great joy one day as these parents who've dedicated their children to God are there standing with them when that child trusts in Christ as their Savior. I, I can't wait for the day when Bella trusts in Christ as her Savior and I get to celebrate the years of training that went into bringing about that faith in her life. But I know that I have the authority to speak that because Christ has changed me. Christ has changed me. He's given me this, the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of victory and grace. And I can speak those things because they're real. They're not just teaching. They're not just education. These are real things that have happened in my life. Now here's the deal. Whether it be a parent, a grandparent, a young person, you will never be able to speak those things unless Christ has changed you.